Welcome to the first Intuition Podcast. On this episode, Dave talks us through the key verbs that are included within question requirements. These will really drive your answer and ensure your work picks up the marks you deserve. We recorded a session in front of a live Zoom audience, and if you'd like to join a future show, you can register for them. There'll be a link in the show notes. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first Intuition podcast. Every week we get together and we discuss issues that hopefully are going to help some of our accountancy students. Normally, I'm joined by a colleague of mine. I'm joined by my colleague and friend, Ben Bullman, from the First Intuition Office in Cambridge. But unfortunately, Ben can't make it this evening, which leaves it just me on my own to hopefully share some insights about um, exams and some of the things that examiners are going to be asking us to do. But before I get started on that, I I just want to remind you that um, First Intuition Podcast is nearing its 100th episode. So we've had nearly 100 episodes. We've had, uh, I think, around 25,000 downloads of our First Intuition Podcast. There's a whole library of different episodes that we've recorded covering a number of different topics, interviews with people, and hopefully things to help you on your journey towards becoming qualified accountants. So one of the things that we, we, we've talked about a little bit before, but I wanted to bring it back this week. And it's actually something that Ben and I discussed before he kind of became busy for today was the verbs that are used in exams and all, all the words that examiners use. Because quite often we have people that are unsuccessful in exams or struggle attempting questions and it's not because they don't have knowledge it's sometimes because they misunderstand or misinterpret the questions that are being asked so it's it's not the technical words that tend to confuse us it's sometimes the very straightforward words so in an exam if they ask you about deferred taxation or consolidated statements of financial position tends to be the case most of us as accountancy students understand what those terms mean but it's when they use verbs doing words that's when sometimes we slip up and we can sometimes misunderstand what the examiner is asking for are asking us for when it comes to those doing words now one of my tips and i'm going to keep coming back to this is if you're unsure about what an examiner is asking you for. Take the verb, take the doing words and apply it to something in everyday life. And it really brings clarity to what the examiner is asking you. And I, I would put this in, in a, a different context that if you know, we know verbs are doing words like eating and drinking and running, and in, every, in our everyday lives, if someone told you to do one of those three things, you would know exactly what to do. So if I told, gave you, you know, a plate of food and said, eat that food, you would know to put it in your mouth, chew it and swallow it. If I said to you, oh, I need you just to you know, run to the end of the road, you'd know exactly how to run to the end of the road. Because I'm giving you a verb, a doing word, okay, but I'm also giving you context that you understand. I think where the problems come in the exam is we may understand what the verb means, that doing word, but sometimes we can't apply it into the context. So take the verb out, 
put it in a context you understand, understand what that actually means, and then reapply it into the exam question. Okay, now, no examiner is going to ask you in the exam to eat something, to drink something, or, or, or to run away from something. So the verbs are always going to be based around accountancy, okay, but we can always apply them in the real world. So where do we see these verbs? Where do they become confusing? Well, if, you've, if you're doing an exam with multiple choice questions, there's not going to be an issue. And you're not going to be confused with the verbs because they're going to give you a question. They're going to give you four possible answers and you'll have to select the correct answer to that question. So verbs shouldn't be an issue there. In short form questions, again, verbs aren't going to be too much of an issue. So a short form question is where you get a bit of information and then you have to type a number into a box. Okay, or sometimes you've got a free type of word or something like that, or select the correct definition of, of a term from a, a selection or click and drag things into boxes. And those kind of short form questions, again, there's very little issue when it comes to understanding what the examiner is asking us. So where the confusion comes is usually the longer questions. And more often than not, it's the longer questions that have got a written element that we need to be concerned with. So long questions with written elements. Well, that brings us to the end of AAT level three, where we've got a synoptic assessment with written elements. It brings us to AAT level four, where every exam has got a written question. It brings us into ACCA, where every exam beyond the first four have all got big written elements. It brings us to ICAW with written questions. It brings us to SEMA with case study questions. So every single qualification that we may want to do as an accountant is gonna have some kind of longer question involving writing, which means there's gonna be verbs that could be misunderstood. And I said earlier, the issue is that sometimes we've got very, very good knowledge, but we misunderstand the verb. And where, this happens and where I see this happening is when students come out of an exam and they tell me they've done really well I absolutely nailed that exam everything that I wanted came up and then six weeks later they get their results and they've been unsuccessful and they can't understand why they've been unsuccessful and in that situation most of the time it's because they've misunderstood the requirement of the question They've seen a verb and they've applied it incorrectly. They've, they've seen a verb and they've done one thing and the verb actually means to do something different. Okay. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to talk about some mistakes that I've seen. I'm going to talk about the different verbs that you're going to get in the exam and just try and clarify what they mean. And as we go through, I'm going to just try and help you with a few and methodologies to try and help you work out what that verb means, what that question is actually asking you. Okay, so I'm not going to spend too much of my time on this because there aren't that many things an examiner can ask you. If I can help just give you a methodology to help to understand those questions, it really will help in your exam. Now, the example that I talk about with lots and lots of people comes from one of my favorite exams, which is the, the ACCA APM paper. So it's the Advanced Performance Management paper. 
It's a final level exam. And it's all about trying to find ways to evaluate and to measure how well the top level management of the business is performing. Okay. And people often misunderstand this particular examiner. They, they often misread and misinterpret what the question is asking. And that there was a question a number of years ago where it was question one of the exam and there was a really big scenario. And the big scenario gave loads of information about a business. And it, it said, this is what the business does. Uh, it said, this is what the business's aims are. Uh, and one of the aims was that the business wants to grow profitability. So it wants to become more profitable. But it also said that the business wants to increase market share and the business wanted to improve quality of the things that it did. So there are a number of different objectives that the business had. And then it said the, the business uses a number of different performance measures to evaluate its performance. And one of them was return on capital employed. And if we don't know it already, return on capital employed, it's going to be a performance measure that we're going to see right the way through our studies. And the examiner asked the question, can you evaluate the use of return on capital employed to measure the performance of this business? So evaluate the use of return on capital employed to measure the performance of this business. I had people that came out of the exam that told me that this question was so many different things. And the examiner's guide afterwards backed up the fact that people misread this question. So first of all, some people took the scenario with a load of numbers that were in the scenario and they calculated return on capital employed and talked about what it meant. That was instantly no marks. The question says, can you evaluate the use of return on capital employed? Okay, it doesn't say, can you use return on capital employed to evaluate this business's performance? So first mistake is misreading the question and saying that oh, well, I think the question means use return of capital employed to evaluate the business. It doesn't. It's saying evaluate the use of return of capital employed. So first people that calculate return of capital employed, wrong answer, didn't get any marks. The next set of question, next set of people that answered the question, they, they said, oh, it's asking me to evaluate return of capital employed. Brilliant. And evaluation is looking at positive things and, and drawbacks and pros and cons. And what they did is they worked out pros and cons of using return on capital employed. So they talked about the benefits of return on capital employed being that it uses accounting numbers, it uses standard accounting figures, and that's what ties up with the accounts as a linkage to the accounts. And then they talked about drawbacks about how it can be manipulated and how it's based on historical data. And they got zero marks whatsoever because they were evaluating return on capital employed. Now, the students that passed that understood the question, the question being evaluate the use of return on capital employed to measure this business's performance, did exactly what they should have done. And they said, well, what is the company trying to achieve? And we said it was trying to achieve a growth in profitability. Well, return on capital employed is pretty good at measuring the profitability of a business because it's based on profit. So first of all, evaluate the use of return on capital employed. It's brilliant for measuring whether a business is improving its profitability. But when it came to that other aim of it's trying to improve quality, well, it's rubbish. 
return on capital employed doesn't look at anything to do with quality. So the correct answer to evaluate the use of return on capital employed is to say return on capital employed is very good at evaluating the objective of increasing profitability. However, it is very poor at evaluating whether the business is improving its quality. And that's how that question needs to be asked, needs to be answered. The, the people that evaluated that business's use of return on capital employed, was return on capital employed a good way of measuring the stated aims of this business or not? And so that, that's where we tend to see mistakes being made. Now, students could quite easily come out of that exam and say, I got it right. I calculate return of capital employed and talked about it. Yeah, brilliant. You may be the world's best at calculating return of capital employed and talking about it, but you're not going to get the marks you need in the exam. You're not going to get credit because you're not doing the things the examiner wanted. Likewise, pros and cons of return of capital employed. I evaluated return of capital employed. Okay, very good. You, return, you evaluated return of capital employed, but you didn't address the question. Okay, so that's where I kind of really strikingly saw that. Now, if we look at a, a few other verbs we might see, uh, and I'm going to be looking at verbs that we're going to see from AAT kind of all the way through the qualifications. Okay, and first of all, the, the straightforward verbs that we might see are verbs like list. List should be straightforward. List is just come up with a list of something. Where people make mistakes is they go too far. And instead of just listing, they move on to kind of describing. Okay, so if you could list different methods of costing, that's classic that you might get in, say, level four AAT, list different methods of costing. Well, we know marginal costing, absorption costing, activity-based costing. One, two, three, three marks, you're done. That's, that's about it. You could talk about target costing. Okay, so four marks maybe, but list is just that. But so often what people want to do is describe and say, right, marginal costing. Marginal costing looks at the variable costs of making a product. You don't need to go that far. If I asked you in the real world, and this is always my test of do I understand the question, move that word into something you know about. So list, list different sports. If I asked you to list different sports, you would say, football, tennis, basketball, squash, swimming. You wouldn't say, list different sports. Football is a team played by 11 players. Okay, that's not what you're being asked to do. It's being asked to list different sports. Okay, so apply it to the real world. Now, other words that you might see, other verbs we might see at that level, okay, things like identify. So can you identify something? And what identify is, could you identify someone in a crowd? Could you identify this person? If you went to the park and a load of people were running around with a ball, could you identify the sport that was being played? Could you identify whether it's rugby? Could you identify whether it's football? Could you identify if it was hockey? Identify, look at something, and can you identify? Can you tell me what it is? It's quite similar to listing because you, we're not asking you to describe Okay, we're just asking you to identify what is being done. Can you identify the costing system that's being used? Well, I can look at a scenario and I'd be looking at, are there any fixed costs? Well, no, they only talk about variable costs. I'm identifying that as marginal costing. 
Now, to show how you've identified it, that's when you might want to give it a brief reason. So identify it with reasons would be, this company is using marginal costing. Where are the with reasons? Well, the with reasons would be because they are only looking at variable costs in their cost card. Okay. We've then got words that and I'm going to go through as they gradually get a little bit more complicated. So after list and identify, which I think are quite nice, we've got things like state. So state. Can we state the rules? Okay, so stating is always about can we stick to the facts? Okay, so state, do we know the rules? Okay, so can we state the requirements for activity-based costing to be useful? Okay, can we state what we need for activity-based costing? That would be where I could expect us to use the term state. Okay, so state what we need for activity-based costing. I need high overheads. I need multiple different products. I need a complexity in the way that those products are produced. If I've got those three things, they're conditions that I need for activity-based costing. So state, okay, tell me the facts. Okay, tell me exactly what I need. And I always think very, very similar to state is define. Okay, so we can define exactly what something means. Okay, and if I was looking at, again, going back to sports, if I was being asked to define something, someone might say, can you define the offside rule? Okay, can you define what we mean by the offside rule? Uh, and what I'm looking for there is, well, define the offside rule is, can you tell me exactly what the offside rule is? And, and if anyone actually watching this live knows exactly what the offside rule is in football, I think you're better than most people out there because it is quite a tough rule to define. So unless you're a referee, most football fans can't define what the offside rule is. Okay, but we may have to you know, define um, the assets that would qualify for enhanced capital allowances. Okay. Once we've done that, what we may have to do is we have to apply. So can we apply this to a scenario? Can you apply a marginal costing principle to this scenario? Okay, so can we put it into action? So being asked to apply is where we start having to do some work. Okay. Then we move on to things that are slightly higher levels. This is by the time we get to kind of onto level four um, AAT, when we start to kind of do higher level ACCA papers, which other verbs do we see? Okay, so we've got one of my favorites is explain. Okay, so can you explain how something is done? Okay, so can you explain something to me? And I always tend to think, well, can you explain how to play football? Yeah, I could explain how to play football. You, know, you talk about the number of players, you talk about the goals, you talk about a ball, you talk about how a goal is scored, you talk about fouls. You can explain how to play football. I think explaining how to play football is quite a nice thing. Explain how marginal costing works. Okay, Explain how activity-based costing works. Explain how accruals are calculated. So it, can you give me an explanation? Can you tell me how something works? We also tend to have, after you explain how something's done, quite often you'll be asked to calculate. And calculate is lovely because calculate, can you do the work? Most of us as accountants got into accountancy because we like calculating. So can we calculate a tax liability? Can we calculate 
the, the profit figure for a business. So calculate, do the numbers. If it asks you to calculate, it's not asking you to write about what you've done. But something that's always really useful when you do calculate is to give it a description of what you're doing as you go through. And we always refer to that as showing our workings, either, either in a written fashion or by showing the calculations you're doing. So calculate, quite nice. Analyze is probably the single verb in AAT that I have to spend time with people going through. So analyze means what to go into detail, to consider implications, to do some kind of analysis. So an analyst tends to look at some data and try and make that data clear. Let's try and work out what that data actually means. So my data analyst might analyze all the data in my business and then tell me what I need to be aware of, maybe to make it clear to me what it actually means. And in AAT exams, quite often, they will ask you to do things like analyze a budget. So a budget's been given, can you analyze that budget? And what they mean is, can you go into detail and explain to me what that budget actually means? So you might say, can you analyze the budget for me? Well, the budget starts off with sales. Sales are showing an increase from this year to, sorry, from this year's current figures to the budget figure. This increase is expected to be because of an increased level of demand. Then we move on to cost. Okay, so we can then say that well, the cost budget has stayed flat from this year to last year. So although sales are expected to rise, we're expected to get a reduction in the, in the cost per unit. This is because we've negotiated a new deal. And when we get that analyze question in AAT, it's always go through line by line, what has happened and can we explain the reasoning behind it? Okay, so that's classic analysis. What's changed and what's the reason for it? So break down into different parts and then make sure you're explaining why it's happening. Okay. A very brief analysis always tends to be this has changed from this to this with no reasoning behind it. So the analysis is always, you know, give me an interpretation. Give me reasons why things have changed. <coughs> Other things that will be asked could be asked to compare a comparison. So compare what well, we're trying to compare two things. Now, if you're asked to compare two things, I'm thinking, first of all, comparison is about, well, are they similar or not? And if someone asked you to you know, compare you know, two people with each other, you might say one's tall, one's not. You might say, oh, but they're both ladies. Okay, one taller lady, one shorter lady. Okay, you might talk about the hair color. Okay, it might be that you know, one's got blonde hair, one's got dark hair. Now you might make those kind of comparisons. So some things will be similar, some things will be different. Now if you compared two cars, you do the same thing. You know, you, you might say, oh, they are a similar size, but this one's black and this one's red. Okay, this one has got um, this one's got a powerful engine, this one doesn't. This one's got tinted windscreens, this one doesn't. Okay, this one has you know, got a roof rack on it. Oh, this one has as well. So in terms of our our comparison, comparison should always be where are the similarities, where are the differences? 
Okay, so if you're comparing two different types of costing, if you're comparing activity-based costing and absorption costing, well, activity-based costing and absorption costing both start from the same place. They both include materials and labour as if they're variable costs. They both consider overheads, so at the moment they seem the same. Where's the difference? Well, absorption costing looks at overheads in a very simplistic fashion. Activity-based costing is different because it breaks down our overheads and looks at them in the context of what they actually do. And then it looks at a more sophisticated manner of trying to absorb those overheads. So comparison it is looking at those two things. Where are they similar? Where are they different? Now, a lot of times with comparisons, people either want to do why they're exactly the same or they want to do why they're completely different. And so frequently people don't look at balance. And if you're only gonna do one half of the comparison, either why they're the same or why they're different, you're only gonna get half the marks. And it's a really quick way to lose marks is to only look at half of a comparison. Other marks that are kind of at this sort of level, and here we're kind of looking at the as a level four AAT, looking at midway through the ACCA, the ICAW, those kind of SEMA qualifications. Um, one word that I think costs students more marks than any other is when you are asked to conclude something. So when you're asked to conclude or when you're being asked to make a decision, and it's so often the mark that is left out. And I see it in my world of management accounting with investment appraisal, where people will be asked to calculate an MPV and then they'll be asked to draw a conclusion from it or to make a decision. And so often people work really, really hard to do the calculation and then they don't make a conclusion. Okay? They don't make an outcome. They don't decide an outcome. They don't make a decision. And that's where you can lose marks really, really easily. So if you're ever asked to make a decision or to come to a conclusion, make sure you do that. So make sure you make that conclusion. Right. Then we've got some other kind of higher level words that we might see. So the term discuss is something that quite frequently people don't, um, people don't go into enough detail when they need to discuss. So discuss and compare are two words that people tend to use interchangeably. Okay, so compare, look at the pro, look at look at the um, compare is kind of like comparing two things and where are they similar, where are they different? You know, discuss is kind of quite similar in terms of you're looking at pros and cons. You could be looking at things that are similar and different, but discussion requires detail. Discussion considered asks you to look at things and explain them. So if you're discussing you could be discussing the differences between two different types of costing or discuss the differences between uh, or the similarities. Or, or you could be asked to discuss whether we should use activity-based costing. And that discussion, we're looking at, well, why should we use it? Not just a single word, but you're actually looking at, can we discuss it using uh, full detail about why we should use that particular form of costing? Okay. Final couple of verbs, as I realize we're running against time. So advise, 
So advise, you're being asked to give advice to someone. And if you're being asked to give advice, I always think, who do you ask for advice? So advice is usually you would go to a solicitor for advice. You'd go for a doctor for advice. They're the kind of people, you go to a, a psychologist for, for advice. And the common thing with all those people is you pay them a lot of money to give you advice. So advice is usually valuable. Advice people normally pay you for. So if you're being asked to give advice, you've got to think people are going to be prepared to pay money for this. So you've got to make sure that the advice is, number one, good. You've got reasons why you're giving that advice. And that advice is relevant. So the mistakes people often make when they're asked to give advice is they give advice that is too vague or they, they actually sometimes throw the advice back. And it says, can you give advice? And then instead of giving advice, they say, well, I think this is what the company should be looking at. No, it's not what the company should be looking at. You're being asked to give advice. You're being asked to say, this is what you should do, not throw it back and say, oh, you should look at something different. So advice needs to be clear. And then my favorite we mentioned earlier was evaluate. So evaluate is does something have value? And this normally is pros and cons. It's normally pros and cons and should you go ahead? So it's bringing together kind of a discussion of pros and cons, but with also a bit of advice at the end. So evaluate a cost plus strategy of pricing. Now, evaluate cost plus would be, well, what are the benefits? Benefits of cost plus, it's simple, it's straightforward, everyone understands it, lots of benefits. What are the drawbacks? Well, it doesn't focus on the market. You could say cost plus and everyone else might be charging more. You could actually make more money because you're ignoring the market. So uh, evaluate it. I've come up with some benefits and some drawbacks, but I would always kind of want there to be a little bit of advice at the end. Should we go ahead and use it or not? Okay, well, that depends on the scenario. That depends on the industry that we're in as to whether cost plus is something that we should be using. Now, I'm gonna finish just by kind of bringing some of these things together. So in terms of the, the terms that we use, in terms of the verbs that we have, I always say, if you can bring them into everyday language, it makes the questions easier. And I started off by saying, you know, list, list different sports. And we said, what, football, tennis, hockey. And then we could say, what, well, explain. And we say, explain how to play it. Or you could say, thinking back to last year, you know, can you explain how the England football team got on in the European Championships? And I'll guarantee you could explain it really well. Because you could explain how they won some games. Okay, You could explain how they got to the final. You could explain how they got knocked out on penalties. Okay, You could quite easily explain how the football team got on. If I asked you, instead of explain how the football team got on, if I said to you, can you evaluate the England football team's performance at the European Championships? That's a completely different question. You can evaluate them. And my evaluation of how England got on is I thought they came together brilliantly as a, as a team. I think that they really got the country together behind them and they were a really positive force 
you know, at that time, you know, in terms of a positive force for society at that time. Um, I think they showed how footballers were becoming more conscious as people. I think they stood for something more than just kicking a ball around a pitch. I think the way they played was absolutely brilliant. Okay, that's my evaluation of them as a team. However, where were the drawbacks? It was that final, wasn't it? It was the penalties. And you'd look at those penalties and say that they still have that flaw that they don't prepare well enough for a penalty shootout. And those old things that came and have undone us in every single football tournament that I can remember, our inability to perform under pressure in a penalty shootout came back to stop us from winning our first major championship since 1966. That's my evaluation. Okay, so my evaluation is looking at yeah, both sides of, of that argument. So where did we do well, but also where did we do badly? Overall, let's conclude. Did the England football team do well? Yes. It's the best performance that I can remember from an England football team since I've been alive. So I, I always think, yeah, brilliantly, they've done well. You've got to kind of bring it home towards the end. Excellent. And someone has just made a, a comment. I'm just going to go through it. Just going to mention the comment before we sign off for, for, for the end of this evening. Um, someone said, compare the difference between a discussion and an argument. Absolutely right. A discussion considers both sides and concludes on the benefits and disadvantages, whereas an argument is usually more strongly biased. Absolutely right. So I was thinking, you know, if I'm having a discussion with someone, I'm happy to have my mind changed. I want to hear both sides of the argument. Besides the discussion, I should say, an argument tends to be very one-sided. Someone is arguing with me, they've got their point and they want to prove it and they're only going to talk about that point. In a discussion, I will hear both sides. So absolutely brilliant point. Really, really like that. So someone just messaged that, that through to me. <laughs> is it correct in the, in the AAT level, level four world? Absolutely. But, you know, verbs have got those same kind of meanings. So, so absolutely. So, thank you very much for that for that input. But time has run against us today. So, thank you very, very much for for being here. If you are listening on the podcast, please could you spend some time? Um, if you've got it, just to to leave a review, that would be absolutely brilliant. If you have got any themes or topics that you would like us to cover in future episodes of the podcast, please feel free to, to drop me an email or to drop Ben an email or to leave a message on, on whatever podcast server you use. And we're always happy to, um, to cover new topics. And it was only last week that we, we looked at, um, at Pride and the Pride movement and why Pride is important and why we should be celebrating Pride. Um, and that was because we did have feedback that it's something that, um, that, that students are are interested in finding out about and maybe students don't know about so it doesn't need to be purely within the world of accountancy we can look at other things as well and if you ever want to be a guest on the podcast because you feel that there's a topic that you'd like to share then we are always welcome to have people join us on the podcast but until next time everyone stay safe and we'll see you next week for another first intuition podcast 